You're listening to sermons from Church on Bayshore in Niceville, Florida. Our mission is to do whatever it takes to see people believe in Jesus, belong to God's family, and become who God created them to be, impacting the world for Christ. To learn more about our church and to find additional resources, including ways to connect, serve, and give, visit churchonbayshore.org. Uh, just an exciting opportunity that we as a church get to be a part of. And I don't, I don't think we're fully grasping how incredible it is that we are, are getting to be a church that not only uh, impacts our community, but has impacted the nations in significant ways and helping other churches, which will be uh, hopefully uh, long-lasting, uh, impacting in their community and have the DNA that we have uh, to then uh, replicate and help other churches. So I hope you fully grasp that. And that's what we want to carry into our service, into our community as well. This Wednesday, we have an opportunity to do that. For those who can be here, we have our fall festival on Wednesday night. And so there are many opportunities to serve as we welcome thousands from our community onto our campus. You can uh, show up with your vehicle and hand out candy. Uh, you know, some decorate it pretty impressively. Some have a banner that says boo. That's about it. But, uh, you know, hey, hey, be you and hand out candy and the kids will love it. And then there's other opportunities to serve on the parking team and other ways. And so again, encourage you, if you're able to be here, be here, invite friends from the community. If you're visiting here today, let me just say to you that we're so glad that you are here with us and that we would love to connect with you. Maybe you're watching online for the first time or listening online. Thank you for joining us uh, that way as well. If you will text the word connect to 850-600-6779, our connect team will follow up with you this week. If you're with us on campus, you can stop by one of the welcome areas on your way off campus, and there'll be a team there to greet you. I'd also encourage you to just stop by the welcome desk and learn more about life groups uh, that are available, and perhaps stick around uh, for the 11 o'clock hour and the different life groups that meet during that time. All right, well, last week, uh, we started a teaching series called Clarity, which takes us through a series of verses in Ephesians where Paul gives instructions to the church regarding relationships that were common in their day. We started with Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 through 33, which speaks to the marriage relationship. I decided to break these verses up into three sermons to try and give adequate time to uh, address the things that are uh, addressed in these verses. And we really could spend a whole year uh, discussing their meaning and application. We started last week with the big picture of marriage. And for the next two weeks, we will talk about two instructions that Paul gives. I mainly say that to remind the women in the room, the husbands will get their turn next week. But today, going in order of the text, it is ladies first. The reason I'm sitting down, uh, which is difficult for me to do, uh, you can ask the people who live in my house that it is difficult for me to sit down for a long period of time, is because I realize that in this room, perhaps someone who's been encouraged to listen to this online, there are those who are going through deeply painful struggles. Uh, maybe you're walking through them right now. Maybe you have walked through them. And some of you, um, even object to what I am saying. And, and I, I just want to demonstrate that my heart is not to look down on you or to lecture you, but to talk to you as your equal and to point you to the only one who is superior. And I do want to encourage you, the invitation is open to sit down with someone in our church 
and to talk about the unique ways that this manifests itself in your life because I know I cannot cover all the nuances of all the situations represented in, represented in this room. Um, I also want to remind you that in the bulletin, there is a QR code, and if you scan that QR code, it will take you to a website, that, a page that has a list of uh, books, resources that might be helpful in understanding marriage and your situation. There's a list of known Christian counselors in this area, and there's even a reminder that we have a group that will be meeting on November 1st that just want to talk more about different aspects of what we are talking about this morning. So today's sermon revolves around the S word, not that one, um, one that can get you in more trouble in a lot of circles, submit. This word comes with a lot of baggage, and we really are running away from this word in our culture. Marriage roles have been redefined in many ways. Divorce is way more likely and more and more women are saying that they don't even want to get married. Catherine Hepburn once said, if you want to sacrifice the admiration of many men for the criticism of one man, go ahead and get married. I thought that was funny. All right. The, some of you are like, no, it stings a little much. All right. The, this cultural shift has influenced the Christian community as well. In a day where you can access thousands of articles on marriage within seconds, I want to appeal to you to look to the Bible as your authority. Hopefully you remember, if you were here last week, the Timothy Keller quote uh, that we discussed. He says this in the book, In the Meaning of Marriage. In the Bible, you have teaching that has been tested by millions of people over centuries of time and in multiple cultures. Do we have any other resource on marriage like that? In the Bible, it's spanned millennia. It's been implemented in many different cultures. And it has been tested. And there is no other resource on marriage like it. So what I'm going to do is look at this passage in Ephesians chapter 5 that was given to us 2,000 years ago. I'm going to go through what it says to wives almost word by word. Compare it with some other passages of scripture and then I'm going to come back and share five thoughts regarding wives submitting to their husbands. So we've been praying a lot, but we need a lot of prayer. I need a lot of prayer this morning, so I'm going to pray real quick again. God, um, I recognize that in this short amount of time, I cannot address every nuance and every aspect related to um, the people who you love and care about. And so, God, I pray that your spirit would speak and illuminate the scripture in different situations God, I pray that we would be listening. We would have submissive hearts to you and you would speak to us and we would hear and we would obey. And God, I pray that you would use today to be transformative in our lives. So God, I, I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would get glory from our time in your word this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm gonna begin uh, by reading Ephesians 5, verse 22 through 24. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, before we examine these verses, I think it's important to understand these verses are a part of a bigger passage in which Paul is speaking. 
And I think it's important that we understand that as we look at these three verses. The first thing I think we need to consider is the last verses on this thought in Ephesians chapter five, which we looked at last week. I'm gonna read them again. Ephesians chapter five, verse 31 through 33. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Paul references the design of marriage that God explains when he creates it in Genesis chapter 2, and which Jesus reemphasizes when he teaches on marriage and divorce in the Gospels. The two shall become one flesh. In marriage, two individuals are becoming one. They are now seeking the same thing together. And Paul states that this is a picture of Christ and the church. Now, I I think we start getting into trouble when we seek to apply any part of Ephesians chapter 5 without understanding that. When we want husbands to love as Christ loves the church, but the husband doesn't know Christ, or when we want husbands to love as Christ loves the church, but the husband doesn't view himself as one flesh with his wife, or when we want wives to respect, but we aren't one flesh, or godly marriage isn't the goal of our wife, then we're not gonna see this flesh itself out the way it should. Remember that a Christ-centered marriage involves two people who allow their eternal relationship to guide their earthly relationships. A Christ-centered marriage takes two people who allow their eternal relationship to guide their earthly relationships. Some of you are in a situation where you are trying to do your part, but you keep getting frustrated with your spouse who isn't. But the reality is they haven't agreed that this is the goal. Disappointment stems from expectation. You expect them to be what the Bible says they should be when they don't care about being what the Bible says they should be. And I just wanna encourage you, you can't expect Ephesians 5 to look like it is. Your role is to pray for your spouse to develop a love for God. Your role is to be the evangelist in your home, to be the Christian example. And you need encouragement of others to keep on that road. This is where we want to get, where both of us are allowing the eternal to guide the earthly. And perhaps that's just not where you are right now. And so you need to see the change that comes about in your spouse's life and stop holding them to biblical expectations, but desire them to grasp the gospel. Now, the other thing we need to consider as we apply Ephesians chapter five, verse 22 through 24, is the verse that immediately precedes those verses. Verse 21, it says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. When we start talking about wives submitting, it is important to remember that the Christian's entire life is about submission. The Christian's entire life is about submission. The word translated submit is the Greek word hupotasso. Blue Letter Bible gives a great definition of this word. It says, this word was a Greek military term, meaning to arrange troops in a military fashion under the command of a leader. In non-military use, it was a voluntary attitude of giving in 
cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. Christianity is a constant submission to others because of Christ. The Christian life is a constant choice to say, this person outranks me right now, and I'm going to serve them and their interest because I serve Christ. This very idea is in opposition to our cultural direction. Today we are being encouraged not to submit. Don't submit to government. Don't submit to your employer. Don't submit even to your parents. Now I'm not saying that questioning authority, authority is always bad. There are times that it is needed. But I think it's important to understand the gap between the context of Ephesus and really most of historical context and our context today. And to understand how our context affects our interpretation and application of this text. We are in a day where submission is foreign to identity and it is looked down upon when it's actually what the scripture calls us to. Now I think in addition to understanding our current cultural context, we need to understand uh, that there is this long lasting spiritual war going on here and it affects how we apply this scripture. Again, I reference that God created man and woman to enjoy one another, to enjoy God's creation. But if you read on, Adam and Eve, they sin. They choose to eat of the fruit of the tree that God says don't eat of. They, they disobey God and they fall short of the glory of God. And there's consequences. There's brokenness because of what they do. And Genesis chapter 3 verse 16 says one of those consequences is this. That the woman, he said, God said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth ch children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. We see that there are consequences now of living in a fallen world. And one of those results is that women and men will struggle to live out God's design in the marriage relationship. He says, your desire will be contrary to your husband. So you'll constantly want to kind of say, no, I, I want my way. And then he also says that men will rule over you and men will constantly try to be in charge and, and rule. The goal, though, is husband and wives as one flesh, working together, striving for the same thing, not having this kind of struggle. And so this submission is a part of how God designed it. It is a part of life. And without sin, it's problematic. Now, this doesn't mean that we submit to everyone at all times. And I do think there's something important for us to understand that has gotten confused. If you look at verse 22 and just read what's there, it says this, wives... Submit to your own husbands. Paul does not say women submit to men. He says wives submit to your own husbands. This is not a general directive about the place of women in society. He's giving a specific directive concerning the role of the wife in the home. There are places that address roles in the church and speak to distinctions between men and women in those roles. And what I think has happened is people have made assumptions and have used these passages of scripture to support those assumptions, resulting in a lesser view of women in general in some context. And then there's this reaction that says, hey, those passages aren't relevant anymore because culture has changed. But again, these passages in the Bible are about roles, and they are connected to God's creation and God's design. 
If you read what Paul writes about women and men in the church in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I can't focus on that right now because we'll get distracted. But if you'll read those places on your own, you will discover that what Paul is arguing is from the doctrine of creation. God designed men and women differently intentionally. Alistair Begg puts it this way. When God made man and woman, he made them equal. He didn't make them identical. When God made man and woman, he made them equal. He didn't make them identical. This has never been about inequality when it comes to the scripture. This is about diversity. This is about God's purpose in creating men and women differently for his goodness, for our goodness. Our culture is probably pushing against this in the most blatant way ever today. And it has some of y'all scared. But listen, what God has established from creation, no culture is able to destroy. No culture has ever destroyed it, and no culture will ever destroy it. The culture will destroy itself before it destroys God's design. The culture will destroy itself before it destroys God's design. Now, I don't know that that's very encouraging as an American citizen, just so you know. Because our culture can destroy itself. God has not promised that America will always exist And if he allows us to tarry on and we keep going in that direction, we will destroy ourselves. But it is encouraging to the believer because the institution of men and women and creation and marriage has never been destroyed and it will not be destroyed. God will see to that and that can give us great confidence. So the answer to us today, whether we live in Ephesus 2,000 years ago or in America today, is to look to the Lord and to look to his word And what he says to wives in verse 22 is, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, we have to talk about another misunderstanding here as we begin. He says, as to the Lord or according to the Lord, not as if he is Lord. The language is as you would to the Lord. And so what you must understand here is that in this context, the husband is in a role out of reverence for Christ, and so you submit to him out of reverence for Christ as you would serve the Lord. Now, there's some thinking involved here. First, who is the Lord? And you really need your Bible to understand that. But I'm gonna quickly tell you who he's not, and I'm gonna use some Disney characters to explain that. God is not Jafar. Jafar is the evil sorcerer uh, in uh, the movie Aladdin who wants to become a genie and he wants to control everybody to get his way. He wants Jasmine to marry him, uh, not of her desire, but because she has to. He doesn't care about loving, joyful submission. He just wants his way. That is not who God is. He's also not Gaston, who's, you know, just sees in the Beauty and the Beast, he sees Belle and anyone else as as eye candy, or an accomplice to his life and his ego being built. So what this passage isn't saying is submit to someone who manipulates forces and abuses you. We do know from just this passage that God is a servant, that God sacrifices. 
that God cherishes his bride. Paul is not suggesting a kind of unconditional obedience from wives. The husband has no authority to call the wife to submit to that which God has not ordained. The husband has no authority to call the wife to submit to that which God has not ordained. One commentator said, it doesn't mean that the wife is in the hands who has the authority to command what he pleases. There are exceptions in the bounds of marriage. For example, in circumstances of domestic violence, a husband has no right to subject his wife to physical or sexual abuse by the misapplication of the principle that is here made straightforward. If a husband suppresses his wife, treating her like a doormat, he is not in line with what Christ has called him to do. In fact, a parallel passage written by Paul as well in Colossians 3 verse 18 says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. He means a condition to the submission, as is fitting to God, as in what you owe the Lord. This is the call. This does mean, however, that perhaps there will be times, seasons, or maybe even a lifetime of submission that isn't what brings you the happiness you dreamed of. Paul says submission isn't about getting what you deserve from him or you think you deserve. It's about the reward of the Lord. In that same passage, Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul wraps up his thought by talking about submission in several roles, but specifically in the role of the wife here. And he says this in verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. We submit as Christians not to get what we deserve from the person we submit to, but because we serve the one who gives us the great reward himself. This is the way God has designed it. Back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now remember, the purpose of marriage is to be a picture of Christ and the church. Here Paul says, Christ is the head of the church, its savior. He's not, he's not saying your husband is your savior. What Paul is doing here is he's using language that he consistently uses in marriage. He also uses this language in referring to women saving their husbands and parents saving their children in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So he's not saying husbands are the savior of women. He's using imagery of Christ in the church to show what the relationship should, should look like. And we'll talk about this more next week, but your husband feels the responsibility of sacrificing in this way, or he should if he is a Christian. So again, under that authority, under that idea, Paul says what he says in verse 24. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. As the church submits to Christ is something we have a challenge with here. When I say here, I mean here. Because in our Western individualistic autonomy, we constantly see Christians not submitting to Christ as Lord. We don't think of a king who we are to bow down before his throne and do what he's called us to do. 
So today, Christians aren't saying, my money is yours, God. And Christians aren't saying, my time is yours, God. And Christians aren't saying, my direction is yours. Many Christians are saying, God, I want you to make me happy. And I will give some things in exchange for you giving me happiness. And I'm going to justify my lack of submission to you, Lord, when I don't see how submitting to you makes the most sense. And then he says here, in everything. As believers, we submit to God in everything. And the point of this phrase isn't the details, it's the devotion. It's the wholeness. That's how the church is to submit to the Lord. And with that idea in mind, when a husband is seeking the Lord, wives ought to have a spirit of submission in the same way that the church has towards God. And so with that being said, I wanna now share five important thoughts regarding wives submitting to their husbands. Five important thoughts regarding wives submitting to their husbands. Number one, godly submission is grounded in submission to God's word. Godly submission is grounded in submission to God's word. So so I understand that you might have all kinds of feelings about this word, submit. But the question for you this morning is do I care enough about Christ to bring myself in line with the authority of the Bible? Even when it is so fundamentally demanding. Even when it is so politically incorrect. Even when it is so culturally irrelevant. That's the question. Do I care enough about Christ to bring myself in line with the authority of the Bible? And some of us are answering no. Alistair Begg says, we will never think rightly about marriage until we are convinced of the divine origin of scripture. We will never think rightly about marriage until we believe God breathed this. This is his word about himself and about us and about how we should live. And marriage is not the only place we have this issue. We see people constantly twisting or ignoring scripture and justifying their lifestyle that is in contradiction to it. Someone was telling me the other day about their mother-in-law. And, you know, this guy loves Jesus. He's trying to lead his new wife. And his mother-in-law said to him about their life and about their commitment to the Bible, he said, I know you got, you're really into the Bible, but I'm more of a Jesus person. I'm not so serious about the Bible. If you believe what you like about Christianity and you reject what you don't like, Jesus is not Lord, you are. You don't serve Jesus, Jesus serves you. And I know that's harsh, but I hope you will see it. And you will see God's grace for you and you will turn to him. Rembrandt has a painting of an old woman reading the Bible. And in fact, apparently his mother sat for as the model of this painting. And in this painting, the Bible appears to be illuminated from within. That was the point of the painting that Rembrandt Rembrandt wanted to make. The illumination comes from the text. The light doesn't come from outside onto the text. It's something inherent in the very text itself. And the same spirit that has inspired its writing is now the one 
who illuminates its truth and brings conviction to our hearts as we read it. This is foundational. Godly submission is grounded in submission to God's word. Second, important thought regarding wives submitting to their husbands. Wives are called to submit to their own husbands out of submission to God. Don't add or subtract from that. Wives are called to submit to their own husbands out of submission to God. Don't add or subtract to that. I'm gonna say this again. Wives are called to submit to their own husbands. Women are not called to submit to men. Yes, there are roles in the church that men fill. They don't deserve respect because they're a man or submission because they're a man. They deserve that because they're in the role and they should be qualified in that role and affirmed by the congregation in that role. So, we need to understand this very clearly. And I think that people have gotten that jacked up. Let me also say that the submission is out of submission to God. A woman doesn't have to submit to a husband who is asking her to do things that God doesn't want her to do. That's gotten jacked up too. Don't add to this. And also I would just say this, wives, when it's clear that what your husband is asking you to do is, not, is against the word of God, you don't have to do it. But when it's up for debate, when we don't know fully, we're wrestling through the application of the scripture, that is when I would say, God has called you to submit. I was telling someone the other day about my wife, Christy, and we've been married for 17 years, and over those 17 years, um, I love her. She's a firstborn, so she's very opinionated and likes to express her opinion. Uh, we don't always see it eye to eye, but when we come to those places where I really feel like, no, we need, this is what we need to do with our kids. This is how we need to spend our time. This is how we need to spend our money. I feel like Christy said, I trust you. And I trust that God will deal with you if you're wrong. And, <laughs> and so I would just encourage you in the same way. Don't subtract from what this is calling you to do, uh, women. This is where God wants you if he's trying to lead your family. And the culture is in opposition to this. The third important thought regarding wives submitting to their husbands is that we aren't called the traditional marriage, we are called to biblical marriage. <laughs> I feel like a lot of what I hear when we talk about marriage is actually just counter narratives from where the culture was and the culture is. We're never called to the counter narrative, Christian, we're called to the meta narrative of scripture. We're called to biblical marriage. You might say, well, what about the Old Testament? That's my exact point. They got it jacked up. It wasn't what God intended in Genesis, and Jesus clarifies what God intended in the New Testament, how they gotten it jacked up. That's what God's showing us. And so we need to understand that the meta-narrative is what we're concerned with, not tradition. And so while the scripture does speak of a man working to provide for the family, men need to feel that weight, and it does talk about the home being the center of a woman's activity, not exclusively if you look at Proverbs 31, but it does talk about women being homeward in their orientation and you can't neglect that. We need to understand then, valuing those things, that the Bible is not a law book on the division of labor in the home. There is freedom in Christ. Bland Mason, who um, led our marriage conference in 2020, and we have another one coming up, or 2021, somewhere. He, he led a marriage conference that we did. Uh, we have another one coming up in 2023. He said, when he was here, a woman can be president of the United States and honor God as long as she is submissive to her husband out of submission to Christ. 
Husbands and wives are called to work this out together. The home is the center of her activity. Men should be the provider, but she has certain skills and gifts. We'll figure that out together. We're one flesh figuring this out. I know a lot of quiet women and outgoing women who are respectful to their husbands. I also know a lot of quiet women and outgoing women who are not respectful to their husbands. But the the point here is that personalities are different and we're just called to figure this out as a couple and there is not one size fits all as long as we're not neglecting scripture. We're called to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, Ephesians 5.21 says. And I would just suggest that our wives are in many cases more competent in all kinds of areas than we are. Hellenistic, that's Greek-influenced Judaism, had begun to view women as inferior to their husbands and that they should submit to them in everything. This was a departure from Old Testament Judaism that viewed the woman as a helpmeet to her husband. So we aren't called the traditional marriage, we're called the biblical marriage, and there is a lot of freedom in the application of that. Number four, a wife's primary goal for her husband should be that he obeys God. You probably have some different goals for your husband, woman. The kind of father he would be. Maybe the kind of grandfather he would be. The kind of provider he would be. The kind of romantic he would be. The number one goal you should have, and it will probably lead to a lot of the other things, is that he is a man who loves and lives for God. If he isn't, God even wants to use you for that number one goal. Let me, let me read 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. It says this. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Let me just say this. This is Peter writing. I feel like some people today are like, we're just gonna discount what Paul says. This is Peter, so you know, you gotta throw out some of the gospels and that as well. So anyway, that was that was extra. If you want your husband to be a godlier man, be respectful and pure, this scripture tells us. Submission does not mean avoiding efforts to change your husband. A woman should want to change her husband or to see her husband change if he is not obeying God. But that happens through respect and purity, not through force or compromise. And so I just want to speak to this for a moment because I've often had women say to me uh, about their husbands, you know, he just doesn't listen to me. And I do have to say that Christy has never said that to me. At least I haven't heard her say that. (laughs) But let me just say this. You're probably never going to get him to listen to you with selfish demands. You're going to have to lovingly appeal. And I'll say that for a spiritual reason. That's what Christ has called you to in speaking. So in the way he instructs you to speak, he doesn't say accept to your husband. And then secondly, there is just something. When you come to your husband, you say, this is a problem I'm having. 
and I need it to be solved. He's like, man, this is, I can fix this. I can work on this. Yeah, it's you. Oh, okay. Like, but there's something about that recognition that I'm not being what I need to be and who I need to be, and God uses it. Let me, let me also say this, because I feel like we say this to men a lot, and we need to say this to the women, the wives in the room as well. Choose your battles. Don't fight every little battle. Let things go. And don't say everything you think. (laughs) Wise people talk, I heard once, because they have something to say. And fools talk because they have to say something. And we have to remember that. Let me also just say this. I know that some of you aren't going to like when I say this. But um, don't nag. And I don't say that as a guy. I say that as a guy who knows some of the Bible. The scripture tells us not to. In fact, Proverbs says that it is better to live on the corner of a roof than to live with a nagging wife. And I've had some friends who've been deployed and had to sleep on the corner of a roof, and they say it's true. God's word (laughs) is true. And I'm just telling you, you are creating a toxic environment for your marriage if you are nagging all the time. And and I just want to say this too, to the Christian women in this room. I've noticed some women portray one thing publicly and are a different woman in their house. And that is not of God. And so be the woman that God has called you to be. And remember, God is calling you in this marriage to reflect Christ, to reflect Christ. Most scholars would agree that Peter's emphasis here is not on the jewelry, but the excessiveness and identity in it. Like, it would be used to draw attention to yourself and to try to persuade. And the world can teach you how to win a man to yourself, but only the word can teach you how to win a man to God. You want him to obey God, not you. As a believer, that's what you want for everybody. And if you really value your marriage and your husband and your children, that's what you want for him. And can I, can I just say something? And I mean, you could have shouted no, but I was gonna say it anyway. Um, <laughs> And I just say this because I know you know people and I'm hesitant to say it, but like I've noticed a trend in a man, and this happened in our church, it happens in other church. A man is like on fire for the Lord. He's in the word. He's being discipled. He's meeting with other men. And then the wife will say, well, I don't really love this church. I love the music better at this church or this better at this other church. And so she asked him to leave. And I'm just telling you, don't do that. If your husband is pursuing the Lord and God is growing him wherever you are, even if you're at another church, listen to this, and you're thinking about coming to our church, listen to me online today, but he's passionate about God where you are, stay where you are. I'm telling you, it's rare today that a man would say, hey, I'm gonna leave my family in the Lord. Do not jeopardize that. Do not question that in terms of um, if he's really sincere and you see the fruit of the scripture and, and, and let God work on you in that. Your primary goal is that he obeys God. Okay, last one. The goal of a Christian woman is not independence from men or dependence on men. It is dependence on God. Our culture today is saying, you don't need a man. And our culture used to say, you need a man. No, you need a God. You need to depend on him. Our identity is not tied to whether we're in a relationship or not. Your identity is not tied to how good your marriage is. Your identity is not tied to how your friends view you. Your identity is tied to the fact that you are a daughter of God. 
Here in this text, it tells us that Sarah called Abraham Lord. I think that needs a little unpacking, right? Because that's not happening in my house. And there have, been, there have been some jacked up views where men really feel like, hey, call me Lord, right? Like I'm the Lord. That's not what Peter's saying. He's saying God spoke to Abraham and Abraham went to his wife and said, hey, we gotta leave our family and we gotta move. And she said, oh yeah, what job are you taking? What city are we going to? And he said, I don't know. And she went, she went. Now, Sarah wasn't perfect. If you read the story, she isn't perfect. But you know what God did through this? He brought about the promise of Israel. And he brought about the Messiah through God using Sarah's submission. And that's the call to be a daughter of Sarah. Now, he says, if you do not, if you do good and you do not fear anything, that is frightening. And so I asked Christy, I said, hey, what are women afraid of in this? And she said, well, everything. And so, like, I know there's all kinds of things that you might worry about and really saying, hey, I'm gonna submit to my husband out of submission to Christ. But when you look back on Sarah, she had a hope in God and God used it. And so this morning, I'm just calling you to have a hope in God. Maybe your husband isn't a believer. All this doesn't apply in Ephesians 5 directly. But God has called you to be an evangelist in your home, to show him the love of Christ. And God is your hope in that. Maybe your husband isn't leading your family. Hope in Christ. Point him to the word. Maybe you're just in a difficult season. It's tough. You don't know how you're gonna make it through it. Hope in God. Maybe you're divorced. Maybe you never thought you'd be where you are. Maybe it's your fault. Maybe it's not your fault. You don't feel like you can ever experience the blessings of God, and I would just say place your hope in him and see where he meets you where you are. And maybe you are in this place as a couple where God is leading you, God is speaking to your husband, he's doing something, and you're like all kinds of worried about where that's gonna go. But hope in God. And I would just remind, not just the women in here, but everybody in here in this call to submission, I would remind you that God doesn't ask us to do anything he isn't willing to do. And Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane and he prays, God, if there's any other way that I can accomplish what you're calling me to besides the cross, please, God. And then Jesus says, nevertheless, your will be done. This is what Christ went through for us. And so our submission is in response to that picture and what the implications of are for our lives on that picture. And today, maybe the, the problem here is that you've never really grasped what God has done for you, who has all authority, who, ha who deserves everything, what he suffered for us, what he submitted why he submitted for us, and you need that to grasp your heart. Or maybe it's just this reminder to say, I can't let the culture influence me or even my friends be the primary influences in me. I gotta let God's word be the influence. I hope that your hope is in the God who doesn't disappoint. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to spend time in your word this morning. I thank you that your word does not return void. And I thank you for the incredible power that comes when we place our trust in you. And that's what I'm praying for right now in this room.
that whether it's a recognition that we've been doing things our own way, it's a recognition that we've struggled in implementing and applying, or maybe it's a recognition that we are not in a place we hoped we would be. But the response, no matter what, is we need you, Lord, to depend on you. And so, God, I pray that your spirit would speak and work in all of our hearts in your infinite wisdom. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.